I'm going to turn this mic over to somebody else today. We're going to have to have a lot of prayer because we have Megan going to be sharing with us. And I know Megan. I don't know what's about to come out of her mouth at all. But I'm just going to ask you right now to just bow your heads as we pray over her. And she prepares to live the message today. Lord, I just thank you right now in Jesus' name for Megan. I thank you, Lord, for her life. I thank you, Lord, for the words you've given her uh, for today. Lord, speak through her, we pray. And, Father, for us, give us receptive hearts. That, Lord, focus on what it is that your word is saying to us. That we may be your representatives here on To God be the glory. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Let's welcome Megan here. We've never done that one before. Welcome her to the pulpit today. to Jim Chapel style this morning, bring the pulpit back in style. <laughs> so this is more my thing. Um, okay, so we're still in the book of Acts. Um, we're going to be covering Acts chapter 16 through 18 this morning is where we're at in our study this summer. So if you guys want to turn there, um, there's actually so much packed in these three chapters. You could spend like days preaching on them. Um, promise you I won't. <laughs> um, but I don't know if you guys have ever read the book Heavenly Man by Brother Yun. And in it, he talks about how the Chinese pastors would just preach all day long for days on end because the people were so hungry to hear God's word. And so I just ask you guys, you know, are we more hungry after the things of this world? Are we hungry more after the Lord and his word? So. All right. So the focus of the message this morning is presenting an unchanging gospel to an ever-changing world. So, who likes change? You guys love change? Usually, either we love it or we hate it. There's really not any in-between. Um, and change can be good and change can be bad. But, like it or not, we live in an ever-changing world. What once was seen as sin is now acceptable. What once were seen as good moral values based on the word are now seen as narrow-minded, old-fashioned, and intolerant. I know an elementary school-age child in Harrisonburg. And she has actually been sent to the principal's office multiple times for just talking about Jesus in her classroom. And she was disciplined for this. Um, even years ago, my mom was pregnant with me. Uh, my parents were concerned about the changing nature of the moral you know, society today. Um, this was back in the 80s. And my dad was having a conversation with a leader in the Shenandoah district. And he asked my dad, are you excited about having a child? And my dad said, well, yes, but a little apprehensive, too, because of the way the world is going, the condition of the world. And he told my dad, well, just raise your children more conservatively than what you were raised. And my dad goes, so you can give a little and still be okay? <laughs> and the man replied, why compromise? So I asked you all, church, why compromise? Even the slightest little bit with the world. Did you realize how serious that is? And I'll tell you, my parents didn't compromise. <laughs> Sometimes I wish they would have, but they didn't. <laughs> but we live in an age of compromise. It's politically correct to accept anyone who is sincere, regardless of their beliefs. It's socially impolite and improper to bring up religious topics for discussion outside of in the in public. It's offensive to pray in Jesus' name, but it's okay to pray to a higher power so as not to offend anyone. Even in many churches today, we hear a watered-down, sugar-coated gospel. We talked about this in Sunday school today. A gospel that promises forgiveness, but rarely mentions the need to repent and turn from your sin. 
A gospel that teaches that God wants to bless you and make you happy, healthy, and wealthy and not have any problems to speak of, but he'll never ask you to make any sacrifices. We hear of a gospel that declares God's love, but not his holiness and his desire for us to be sanctified. Um, 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4 says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So man's thinking may change, but the Lord is unchanging. Malachi 3, 6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. In Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God's word is unchanging. Psalm 119.89 says, Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Another translation says, Your word is settled in heaven. So there is no debate. God's word is settled forever. In Isaiah 4.8, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. So God does not change, and therefore his word does not change, and the meaning of his word does not change. Jesus said in John 10.10, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. God wants us to have a full and abundant life, but that comes through abiding in his unchanging gospel and not through pursuing what an ever-changing world says is fun, right, and good. So when you see a difference between the church that is today and the church that was evident in Acts and the scriptures, you find a church that is not presenting an unchanging gospel to an ever-changing world. You find a church that is compromising with the world. We have too many churches and too many believers who are presenting a watered-down, warm-fuzzy-feeling gospel to appeal to an ever-changing world instead of the true unchanging gospel and how we live our lives. And I think if we're honest, each one of us can say that we can include ourselves in that at times. We tend to water down and sugarcoat the gospel to appeal to people. But we must never compromise the gospel because we want people to like us and we don't want to offend people. That might make them and us comfortable for a time, but it's destructive. And compromising with the ways of the world, even in subtle ways, is dangerous and opening the door to the enemy. But the ever-changing world is actually not the problem. We're not up against culture or society of today, but against the evil one who seeks to destroy the gospel message. We're not to compromise with Satan. Compromising is one of his greatest tools. He's aware that even one person who's standing firm in the gospel message in an unbelieving world and saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. That's powerful. Even just one person standing firm. And we live in a world that tells us we need to be tolerant and more accepting because the world around us is changing. We need to change with it. Keep up with the times. Well, we're living in a changing world, yes. But we cannot let the changing moral climate of our society change the perspective that we have on God's Word. While our methods for how we communicate God's Word, using more technology um, or that sort of thing, different music, that sort of thing, that may change. But that does not change what the Word says. We cannot change the content of the message we're presenting to the people. That never changes. So we're going to look this morning at how Paul and his companions presenting an unchanging gospel to an ever-changing world in his day, and how we can do the same today. 
let's look at Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. And we see Paul is still on his second missionary journey, and he wants Timothy to join them. And Timothy had a Jewish mother, but a Greek father. So he was half Jew and half Gentile, and he had never been circumcised. And like Pastor Dave shared last week, at the Jerusalem Council, they determined that based on God's word, that Gentiles do not need to be circumcised to be saved. We don't need to do any extra works, we just need Jesus. It was the same then, and it's the same now. And Paul had just spent all this time teaching how, you know, we don't need the circumcision to be saved, but yet he's asking Timothy to be circumcised, you see here. So, it might seem like he's compromising the gospel message to fit with the world, but he actually wasn't. He was simply trying to remove any barriers that might hinder the Jews from hearing the gospel message. Circumcision was a major cultural issue for the Jews, and Paul knew that they would get hung up on the fact that Timothy was part Jew and not circumcised, and they would get distracted from the gospel message. So they would want to discuss Timothy rather than Christ. So this wasn't an issue of compromising doctrine and saying that circumcision was necessary for salvation, but a matter of, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 20-22, to the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. I have become all things to all people, that by all means possible, I might save some. So that doesn't mean he was being a people pleaser, but it does mean that we need to be mindful of how we come across to those who we're presenting the gospel message to. Like missionaries who do cross-cultural ministry. We, too, must be willing to adjust our personal preferences, our traditions, our dress, our eating habits, our styles of worship or worship music, to have common ground with those that we're witnessing to, all while never wavering on the message itself. So then we move on to chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. And we see Paul and his companions, and they were kept by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And when they tried to enter Bithynia, the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to enter. So we don't know exactly how or why they weren't permitted, but we do know that God has specific timings and places and people. And what immediately might look good might not be eternally good or bear fruit. Perhaps the timing wasn't right here for the people to have open hearts for such as the gospel message, because we see actually later on in Acts that the gospel is taken to this region. But the principle is clear that God's word never changes, but the specifics of where he has us go and what he has us do, we need to be open to be changed by him midstream in that work. We must submit our agenda to God's will and not try to push through closed doors in our own strength, trying to make things happen ourselves. Aren't we all guilty of doing that sometimes? Or we'll be in danger of compromising the gospel message to get the results that we want. And as a church, do we push through with ministries how we think they should be? Or do we truly seek the Lord and His will for what the ministry should look like and where we should go? Well, then we see in verse 9 that during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, they got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called them to preach the gospel there. So immediately, Paul and his companions laid aside what looked best to them and cooperated with God's leading. So do we see sharing the gospel as something that we do in our own strength or something that we do for God? 
but we see it as something that God does through us as we surrender ourselves to him. If we see sharing the gospel as something that we do for him, we're tempted to jump ahead of him or lag behind him or do what looks best to us or say what we think is best. But when we see how utterly dependent we are on him for sharing the gospel to others, and it's something that he does through us, then we're more likely to be in tune with the Holy Spirit's new. And when we're spirit-led instead of self-led, it will keep us from changing the gospel, and we'll be where we need to be in God's perfect timing. And then we see in verses 11 through 15 exactly what happens as a result of this. Paul and his companions go to Philippi in the district of Macedonia. And by divine appointment, Paul meets up with Lydia, who was there with an open heart, ready to receive the gospel message. So if Paul and his companions had gone where they wanted at first, they could have preached that exact same gospel message with nobody being receptive to it, because the Holy Spirit wasn't in it. But the Lord opened Lydia's heart. So we can't change the hearts of those that we're ministering the gospel to, who give never to the ways of the world. We must pray for them, speak truth to them, live truth before them. But it's the Lord who changes their hearts. And then moving on to verses 16 through 40, we see Paul and Silas, and they encounter a female slave who is demon-possessed and engaged in fortune-telling. And Paul casts the evil spirit out of her in the name of Jesus. So church, we will not have that kind of power for spiritual warfare if we compromise or water down the gospel message. You begin to realize the importance of not changing the gospel even the slightest when you're stepping out in faith in daily life like that. If you change the gospel, you rob it of its power, and it becomes some man-made thing other than the living power of Almighty God. And so this act upsets the female slave's owners who dragged Paul and Silas before the magistrates, and they're severely beaten and thrown into prison. So clearly the gospel is countercultural. When you present an unchanging gospel to an ever-changing world where the gospel is not popular, you will face persecution. So I just ask you, are you viewing persecution based on how the world does or what God's word says about it? The world says it's a terrible thing to be avoided. But the word says in 2 Timothy 3.12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And from Matthew 5.10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Paul and Silas were in prison. They could have changed their theology of God to say, maybe God isn't really good, and God doesn't really want good for me because I'm in this bad situation and he's allowed me to go through this suffering. Well, church, either God is good or he isn't. The message of the word doesn't change based on your circumstances. God's character is unchanging and he is good and he cares about you. So do we really believe that all the time, no matter what situation that we're going through, no matter what suffering we're facing? But we often place a higher, a higher trust in our ever-changing feelings than we do in our situations, about our situations, than we do on the ever-changing um, situations around us, than we do on God's Word. We put so much trust in our feelings that are constantly going one direction or another than we do on His unchanging Word and His unchanging character. But no matter what our situations might make the Word seem like, no matter what our situations might make the Lord seem like, we live by faith and not by sight. We live by the truth of His Word and what it says about who God is, and we cling to that. 
So we need to let the word change our perspective on things and not allow our circumstances and suffering in life to change what we think the word of God says. Or we'll muddy the gospel and we'll present a confused message to the world. So are you consistently living an unchanging gospel message? Do you live by what the word says only when it's convenient or easy or goes along with how you feel or think? Do you allow your situation that you're in, the suffering that you're going through, to cause you to compromise what you know to be true in the word? When you're going through tough times, I just encourage you, keep your witness to others in mind. We can become so self-focused on our own suffering and our own difficult situations, but ask yourself what your words, your actions, your attitudes are telling others about the unchanging nature of the gospel and of God. Anybody can praise God when times are going well. That's easy to do. But to praise God when you're going through difficult circumstances and situations, what a powerful witness that is, the unchanging nature of God and His Word. The world will sit up and take notice then, that you react differently than how they react. You can have something different from what they have. You have this internal strength from the Lord. But when you react the same way that the world does, you have nothing to offer them. So we need to consistently live out the Word not be roller coaster Christians up and down based on circumstances. We need to be mindful, and when times are good, to develop that constant abiding relationship with God. But when times go bad, we'll just be like the world. But guess what? We will fail at that at times. We will sin. But the key is this when you are struggling with that, be transparent and humbly acknowledge that. But let others know that you are seeking the Lord, that you're desiring to stand firm on His gospel and firm on who He is and His character. And when they see that work in you, the Lord is changing you and transforming you, what a powerful witness that is to His Word. So based on all this, what did Paul and Silas do when they were in prison? Did they come discouraged or get angry with God? Did they cry in the corner of their cell? Did they write their congressmen petitioning for the laws of the land to be changed so they didn't you know, suffer injustice anymore? Did they concoct an escape plan in their own strength? No, they did none of that. They lifted their voice in prayer and praise to God. They were not rejoicing in their situation, but they were rejoicing in the unchanging nature of God in their situation. And they were trusting Him to provide as they kept their eyes fixed on Him and not on what the world was doing. So do we complain about our circumstances when the world is changing, where it's more and more anti-Christian? Are we complaining about the world and the direction of the world? Or are we lifting God up and keeping our eyes fixed on Him? Paul and Silas chose to turn to God and lift him up. Not only did that lift their spirits, but it was a witness to those around them. And a powerful witness to that. And we see how the Lord worked through this. So they were presenting an unchanging gospel, even in their changing circumstances. And there was a violent earthquake that caused the foundations of the prison to be shaken. The doors were flung open and everyone's chains came loose. And the jailer falls trembling before Paul and Silas and asks, What must I do to be saved? When our lives truly reflect the fact that Christ is worthy above all, that our joy is in Him, that we have died to self and are here to serve Christ, people will be drawn to that and want to be saved. So we need to keep that in mind when we're going through difficult times. Alright, then we move on to chapter 17, and we're in verses 1 through 9 now. And Paul and his companions then come to Thessalonica, preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. And some Jews believed the truth of the gospel that Paul was preaching, but others were jealous and started a riot in the city. 
You see, the people of Thessalonica, they love their traditions. What Paul was claiming was true was pretty radical for the Jews. Many miss that Jesus is the Messiah. And many Jews that claim that Paul and his companions were preaching to overthrow Rome. They made many false accusations against Paul because they felt threatened by the truth of the gospel instead of allowing it to change them. So are you willing to change your beliefs when what you've always believed doesn't line up with what the Word teaches? The things that the culture has taught you that you just blindly believe, the lies that Satan has thrown at you that you've taken hold of into your own heart. Even the things maybe a church culture has wrongly taught you that doesn't line up with what Jesus taught. Do you trust him enough that he knows best to allow him to totally transform your thinking, to line it up with his? And not be like the Thessalonians who pushed God away because they didn't want to lose a false sense of security they had in their own traditions, what they'd always known to be true, what they'd always thought to be true. And Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of the world, rather than on Christ. But then we look at the Bereans, and in contrast to the Thessalonians, they allowed God's word to change them. The Bible doesn't change, but it should change us. So we're looking at the Bereans now, as Paul and his companions are in Berea. And in verse 11, it says, The Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the gospel message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And as a result, many of them believed and also a great number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men believe as well. So I found this interesting that they fact-checked the great Apostle Paul. They didn't immediately reject or accept the message, no matter how great the messenger was, but they eagerly searched the word for themselves every day and compared it to what they had heard. And what a great attitude that is towards the word. We should joyously and consistently go straight to the Bible. No matter how great of a teacher that we're listening to, we always need to go straight to the Word and make sure that what they're saying lines up with that. And then we can readily accept it after that. So I just ask you, how do you guys approach the Word? Do we sometimes approach the world more eagerly than we do the Word? And either the world will change you or the Word will, depending on where our focus is. And sadly enough, we do live in an age of biblical illiteracy. How can we present an unchanging gospel to the world when we don't know what's in the Word in the first place? If we're not in the Word, then we're running on our own thoughts, our own emotions, our own steam, our own impressions. But when we keep what the Word says ever before us, then we'll start giving in to what the Lord says and in His direction, not what the direction of the world is. But when you're complacent in studying the Word, and you're lulled by the ways of the world. And you won't even notice the compromises in the world very much. They'll seem like no big deal. It's a small thing. But when you remain in the Word, and you abide in Christ, and He is living in you, even the smallest moral compromise of society will sound an alarm in your soul, and you'll sit up and take notice. This is wrong. So I want you to ask yourselves, am I okay with this belief I have, with this decision I'm making, with this lifestyle choice I'm living, this attitude? Just because society is, 
I encourage you guys to always go back to no matter what I think, no matter what I feel, or what I see going on around me. What does God's word say about this? Do we value what an ever-changing world says and what they value? Or do we truly value what the word says? How different are we? And we need to let the scriptures be the authority for our lives. Not what some person says, no matter how great they might be. Not what the world says, no matter how appealing it might be. Not what we think, no matter how smart we might think that we are. But always compare to what you hear, to what God's word says. But a lot of times, we honestly don't. As a denomination, we come up with committees that try to get the Bible to say what we want it to say. Even individually, when we seek the scriptures for an answer to something, do we seek out verses to line up with what we're already thinking? Or do we humbly submit ourselves to God to receive whatever the scripture says? Do we pray to the Lord, Lord, show me. I'm laying down what I think I know. Show me your truth. I'm willing to have you change my viewpoint. If it's wrong, change me to conform to the truth of your word. If what I think is wrong, and just have open and receptive hearts, allow the Lord to change us and transform us. Lay that down before him. So we need to allow scripture to form our beliefs, not try to conform it to what we think we should be saying based on what the world says. There's a quote that says, the person who won't change his mind to line up with the truth will change the truth to line up with his mind. It's pretty scary, but that's what the world is doing. But there is no gray area in God's word. There is black and white, right and wrong. And if we perceive any gray area there, the problem is with our unlimited human understanding. It's not with the word. In a world that says that truth is relative, as long as your beliefs don't hurt anybody, they're okay, you're free to choose, God says there is absolute truth in his word. I had a patient at the hospital one time who, throughout his hospital stay, he was trying out different religions to see which one worked best for him. And so he was there for about two weeks, and every few days he would change up his religion and what he believed. Um, just trying it out to see how it worked for him, if it fit with what he liked and what his preferences were. And we had to cater to that, whatever he wanted, um, different, different food that he wanted to eat, um, different prayer traditions he wanted to have. We had to cater for that. Just because he wanted to choose what worked best for him. The church, it doesn't work that way. We don't get to pick and choose what truth is. There is absolute truth. And St. Augustine said, if you believe what you like in the gospel and you reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe, but yourself. That's a scary place to be because there's no power in ourselves. Well, then we see moving on into the last part of chapter 17, that the Jews stirred up more trouble against Paul. So he went to Athens and waited for Silas and Timothy to come. So while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed. And another translation says that he was provoked to see that the city was full of idols. Just asking, what provokes our spirit? Are we provoked by things that get in the way of what we think we want or deserve? Or are we provoked by the things that provoke the heart of God? Do we get more fired up over someone pulling out in front of us in traffic? Or a bad play in a sports game? Or someone getting our order wrong at a restaurant? Than we do ever sit in our society? Have we become so desensitized and numb to sin of the world that our spirit is no longer provoked? How does your spirit respond to an ever-changing world? Paul was greatly distressed. He was provoked by the things that provoked God. 
And he begins to minister to those people in Athens. And we see in verse 18, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with Paul. And Epicureans were focused on the pursuit of pleasure and comfort. And Stoics focused on reason and logic. Sounds like our world today, doesn't it? And because these philosophers were intrigued by Paul's teaching, he was invited to speak with the most educated philosophers of the city in what is Paul's famous sermon on Marsville here. And he is an example to us of how to approach an ever-changing moral culture. There's basically four ways I see how you can approach an ever-changing world. The first is to hide from the culture. The second is to attack the culture. The third is to embrace the culture. And the fourth is to present the gospel to the culture. And so we'll look at hiding from the culture. We can stay in our Christian bubble, but that hinders the mission of the church because you can't reach a world that you're walled off from. So clearly that's the wrong way to approach the ever-changing world. The second is to attack the culture and how often we do that. But Paul didn't come out and judge the unbelievers. He didn't fight against the people that believe this way. He didn't rant on Facebook about how much they upset him like we often do, how much the world bothers us. He didn't do that. He simply meets the needs of the people where they are, and he spoke to them addressing their errors and beliefs. But here's the key. He didn't do so in retaliation or in bitterness or to win an argument, but he did so in love out of concern to win souls. So the third way that we were talking about is we can embrace the culture. It's not a good thing to do, and Paul didn't do that either. And it's clearly not what the Bible teaches. He didn't water down truth for the fear of offending or upsetting someone. He didn't sugarcoat the gospel message to make it more popular and easier to swallow. And Paul also didn't minimize the seriousness of the people's sins. He didn't say, hey, I see you guys here in Athens have idols everywhere. You love comfort. You love material things. You want to reason everything out and have it make sense. I know. It's hard. I have that struggle too. But you know what? It's okay. You know, don't worry about it. It's not that bad. Um, it's not like you're killing anybody. No big deal. You know, in our world today, we have this I'm okay, you're okay mentality. Most people don't want others to point out their sins. So they're afraid. They go easy on the sins of others. They're afraid to say anything to sin because they don't want their own sins to be pointed out. But when we do that, we're watering down the gospel message. That the truth is sin is serious. Even subtle sins like judgmentalism, gluttony, gossip, pride, and envy, that we maybe just accept as okay in the church, those are serious sins. Do we take them seriously? Do we see how they hinder our relationship with God? And like Paul, we must hold the gospel truth and call sin, sin for what it is, but speak that truth in love. It's not love to overlook someone's sin. One of the most loving things you can do is speak the truth to them in love. But do so humbly, remembering the plank in your own eye first. And Paul, in his sermon, he was also not concerned about being politically correct. He didn't say, all right, listen up, guys. Well, unless you have something more important to be doing, um, then it's okay. You don't have to listen to what I have to say. Just go take care of that. He didn't say, this might be a good idea for you to listen to, but, you know, just consider it. If it might be for you, it might not be. He didn't say, Jesus can help you, but do what's best for you, like the world often says. No, he said, this is the way it is. This is the truth. We need this. And when we're sharing the gospel, we often try to serve two masters. We try to please God, and we try to please man. 
But in doing so, we cheapen the gospel message and end up watering it down again. Just think about how inappropriate it would be if we send a big bird from Sesame Street to go help with the relief efforts in West Virginia. And we're like, hey guys, big bird is here to help. (laughs) What a joke that would be. And yet that's exactly what we do when we water down the gospel message to appeal to people. We send some cuddly, feel-good Jesus and version of the gospel that's devoid of power and his fullness of glory and character that people truly need. And when we compromise the gospel message in an attempt to win people over, we're not making true converts to the unchanging gospel, but to some man-made religion. And we can't define the success of our ministry based on how many people respond, but based on how faithful we are to the teaching of the unchanging word of God. So the last way we can approach the ever-changing world is to give them an ever-changing gospel message. We stay true to the word that is not changing. And the church is uniquely positioned in the world to offer light in the darkness. And as long as we stand steadfast on the gospel message, we're doing great. But if we don't, we're dimming its light. We have nothing to offer the world. There's much in today's culture and society that we don't like as believers. But that's no excuse to stop loving the people within the culture. Instead of pushing them away, judging them, or embracing their ways, simply love them and offer them the way of the gospel. All right, so moving on briefly then to chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens, and he ministered in Corinth where Paul began experiencing, again, great persecution from the Jews, who didn't want to hear that Jesus is the Messiah. They didn't want to change their ways and beliefs to line up with the word. So in verse 9, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and said, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So the Lord confirmed his presence with Paul, his protection of Paul, and his purpose for Paul. It can be so discouraging sometimes to present the unchanging gospel to a world that's hostile to the truth. But God will give us his encouragement and his strength, and the Holy Spirit is our comforter. And in the last section, we see a Jew named Apollos, who boldly taught the word of God, but he only knew the baptism of John. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained the way of the Lord to him more adequately. And I just ask you guys, do we go that far to disciple others and make sure that they clearly understand the gospel? Do we care enough to gently correct them? And on the flip side of that, are we humble enough like Apollos to receive correction based on the word? And then he went out and taught others, and he was a powerful witness of the gospel. So church, we should not compromise with the world, but lovingly confront it. A compromised, watered-down gospel message in how we live and what we say will end up bringing death and destruction. But an uncompromising, spirit-empowered message of truth brings life and transformation to people. So I encourage you guys, remain faithful to the word. Compromising the gospel message is just a sign of underlying unfaithfulness to God. Whenever you see compromise, you see that there's an underlying breakdown in our relationship with God. So stay close to the Lord, stay in His Word, abide in Him, or you'll start lowering your standards little bit by little bit along with the world.
So abide in the Lord and stand firm in Him and the foundation of His unchanging Word. Don't go downstream of the flow of culture. And our living for the gospel is not just for us, but for those around us watching. Watching when we don't compromise with the world, but when we hold to higher standards and profess Christ. So how are we living differently than the rest of the world? What message are we presenting about the gospel and how we live our lives? Is the gospel controlling us and guiding us? Or is the world controlling us and guiding us? We can't serve two masters, one or the other. If you found yourself caught up in the ways of the world, like we all do at times, don't keep compromising. Seek the Lord for forgiveness and ask Him to help you stand firm in what the gospel says. Paul had a lot of situational ups and downs in his ministry, but through it all, he held the unchanging gospel and the unchanging nature of God. And he presented an unchanging gospel to the world, regardless of what he was going through. So how will we present an unchanging gospel to an ever-changing world, regardless of the costs or consequences? Church Christ is coming back for a church that look, does not look like the world. He's coming back for a church that's holy, that is without spot or blemish, and holds true to the word. And I pray that we're a church, as individuals and collectively, that presents an unchanging gospel to an ever-changing world. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that you would help us to have hearts that seek after you, that long for your truth, that long for your holiness and righteousness, and long for your character in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would not be taken by the ways of this world, that we would not be lulled, that our senses would not be dulled and compromised to the ways of the world. I pray that we would hold firm to the truth of your word, that in our choices, our decisions, our thoughts, our actions, our beliefs, Lord, that they would line up with your word, that we would seek you daily in your word, that we would seek you in prayer each day, that we would just hold firm to that anchor in a world of shifting sand that is just moving to and fro, back and forth, all over the place. We don't even know sometimes. Lord, I pray that we would just stand firm in that anchor of your word, that when the world is changing, when there's these subtle sins that start to creep in, that we would take those seriously, that we would not just um, think that they're not a big deal, but they would see the seriousness of our sins before you, before a holy and almighty God who loves us and desires greater for us. I pray that you would transform each one of us where our beliefs are maybe not lining up with your word, where we're giving in to the lies of society, the lies of Satan. We would believe and be transformed by the truth of your word, first and foremost. I pray, Lord, that we would in turn then be light and salt in this world, that um, we wouldn't lose our saltiness or dim our light just to appeal to people, just to please them and not experience any trouble or hardships but that we would just boldly love your word so much that you would give us hearts for the lost, um, just hearts and direction for how you would have us to present this gospel message to the world. Lord, it does not change, but where you call us at times does change. I pray that we would have sensitive, seeking hearts to you, to where you would have us to minister, to what you would have us to speak to people. We would just so fully be filled with your spirit and sensitive to your mood, that we would know where you are leading and guiding us to, to take this message to the world. Lord, I just thank you um, for how you are at work in so many ways. Lord, the gospel is no different back then than it is now. And the world is, it might seem like it's going downhill fast, but Lord, it was the same way in Paul's day. There's nothing you under the sun. And I pray that you would help us to hold true to your gospel. Um, that nothing else 
would take our attention away. The distraction of the world would just pale in comparison to who you are and your almighty character. I just pray that you continue to work in mighty ways, softening our hearts to your truth, softening the hearts of those unbelievers in the world that we are around to your truth, that we would be bold witnesses to them, that we don't change their hearts, Lord, but you do, that you would go before us and prepare the way for us. And continue just to help us, Lord, not to compromise, not to be taken, but to truly focus on you, to love you, to serve you, and to live by what you would have us do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.